Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network. And today we have New York Times bestselling author John Gilstrap joining us with White Smoke. Set in the wake of devastation where people will kill to survive, only one woman can combat a violent populace with law and justice. Meet Victoria Emerson, the woman tasked with fending off a murderous militia who wants to take over her outpost. Find out more on Book Talk with Fran Lewis. Good morning, John, and how are you? Good morning. I couldn't be better. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad. And so this is the third in the series, right? So Correct. give listeners just a little bit back about Grimson Phoenix, Blue Fire, which is, I love that one, and to understand more what came before White Smoke. Okay. Um, in Crimson Phoenix, the, um, the, it, it starts with Victoria Emerson, who's a representative for the U.S. House of Representatives from West Virginia. And she lives in Arlington, Virginia, because they're in session. And uh, a security detail comes to evacuate her to what's called the Annex, or the U.S. Government Relocation Facility in West Virginia. And, be, and in a protective measure against what might be an upcoming nuclear war. So she is transported rather unwillingly, actually. She ends up at the Hilltop Manor Resort, which is the the bunker the annex is located. And she's a single mom. Uh, She's got three boys. Two of them are living with her, and one is away at military school. And she finds out that she can't enter with her kids. It's just she Mm. can come in with a staff member. And she says, well, hell with this. And she resigns on the spot and decides to survive on her, her own, uh, again, thinking that this, this war is never going to happen. And, of course, it, it does. It, it helps that Victoria and her sons, Caleb and Luke, are survivalists, as they have been. They've been mocked for a long time for having these survival skills and what have you, and hunters and what and and after the war is over, uh, it lasts all of eight hours, and everything is devastated. Um, there is no, there's no communication because of the electromagnetic pulse, nothing works. And mm. we find out very quickly that uh, population goes feral fast. You know, it's, we, it's interesting. While I was writing that book, the, uh, the pandemic hit. And as I was writing about the feral nature of making up stuff about the feral nature of, of people, uh, we heard of folks shooting each other over toilet paper in the early days of the pandemic. Mm. And I thought, wow, it actually goes faster than than I thought it would. And Victoria turns out to be, she doesn't want to be a leader. She just wants to survive with her family. She wants to reunite with her son, Adam, who's at uh, at this military school. And But she can't not lead because people naturally follow her. She's just that 
kind of person. She ends up in a little town called Ortho, West Virginia, which is a fictional town, where anarchy reigns, and she just kind of, she's the one that settles fights and uh, organizes people to start a food bank. You know, we got to get, we got to get past this thing and somehow survive as a community, not as a, not as individuals. And she's successful. And meanwhile, in the bunker itself, where the government has gathered to, you know, for continuation of government, their purpose is legitimate. Uh, but the reality is that they, even though they have the best communication equipment in the world, there's nobody to listen to them. You know, if nobody else has communication equipment. But they get three, three squares a day and uh, a controlled environment. They have filtered air. They have showers, they have medical facilities. And um, while they're, they're going through this charade of continuation of government, you know, passing bills and money, of course, has no value anymore, right? Because it's, what are you going to do with a piece of paper with a president on it? So there's a lot of infighting that happens within, within the bunker. And that's kind of that's what happens. Crimson Phoenix kind of sets up this world of, uh, everybody's trying to survive and have a voice. And in Blue Phoenix, excuse me, in Blue Fire, the um, the town of Ortho uh, is is threatened by by others. There's an army, uh, sort of a ragtag remnants of a National Guard group who comes by and they're going to forage through uh, through Ortho, and that doesn't go well at all. Um, and then in, in in the bunker in Blue Fire, things mm. just kind of degrade more and more. And then finally in White Smoke, which is the third book, it's really a trilogy at mm. this point. I'm not sure there will be a fourth book. Oh, I um, hope so. Well, I, we'll see. Um, but it turns out that the, the government, such as it is in the bunker, mm. is overthrown by the people. And um, the president, Penn Glendale, president of the United States, who's only president because he was Speaker of the House when the president and vice president were killed in the war. Mm. And the, he's going to be, there's a monkey trial being put together. The, the, the citizens who overran the bunker and saw the living conditions that they had went to um, try the House and the Senate and president for treason. And there's, there's no way it's going to be a fair trial. So the president gets a note to Victoria saying, I would like you to come and be the judge at my trial. So that's, that's ultimately what white smoke is about is the journey for uh, Victoria to leave ortho and, and bring her family to uh, bring justice where there is no justice. So that's kind of the, the arc, the three book arc. Yeah, I know it's scary. So ortho has rules, right? And I'll tell you something. If I had a choice between the bunker and ortho, I choose ortho. Seriously, uh, it's a much better environment. So Ortho has rules for being allowed to stay there, right? My no sons, and yet there are yep. so many deaths. So why are there so many gangs and people, and people take their possessions? But there's a rule that you have to be able to. You, they give you something for seven days or a week, and then you have to find a way, way to uh, to contribute, right? You can't just stay Correct. there. You can't just stay That's there. You have to contribute. Um, if you want to have shelter, you join the building committee and help build mm -hmm. your own shelter. Nobody's going to do this for you. Um, and that's that's not 
a lot of people aren't suited for that, and that's fine if not everybody's a, a good at wielding a hammer. And that's fine because uh-huh. there are people who will train them and teach them and, and help them through. But there's no um, – obviously for for the infirm and for the children, you know, there's, there's mm. some – there was quarter given, but the uh, but basically it's a it's a shanty town. People are just trying to survive, and you gotta you gotta pull on the oar with everybody else, or else there's no room for you on the boat. Well, they just got the right idea about it. Too bad people aren't like that today. They just expect everybody to just do it for them, and I'll pay you this or whatever. And we'll talk about that because they don't get paid in that; they get paid in something else that they need even more. So tell us about the gangs. Why are there so many gangs, and what is the rationale behind them? Well, if you think about it, you've got yeah. uh, you imagine the world where everything you know is gone. You know, you don't have if you're on medication, you don't have medication. If yeah. you don't have electricity, you don't have. If you're in an apartment building, you're among hundreds of others who are in the same spot, and uh, people become very protective of their own stuff and of their own lives and panic people. You see this all the time at a lesser scale. Uh Um, When people panic in a building, when a building catches fire or something bad happens and and people will run over their fellow citizens literally and and trample them to death in, in their zeal to save their own lives. They don't mind taking the lives of others. And I, I think that's because we're basically animals, you know. Human beings are are animals that have made rules for each other, but those, the, but the fight or flight instinct is is driven deep. And there are people who see opportunities. Look what happens in riots, you know. Where yeah, um, how does how are you helping the the protested cause by stealing televisions out of the Best Buy? You know, it, it just. Uh, People go feral very quickly, and it's without a police force. And, of course, in Ortho, there is no police force. It's, they're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they're dependent on the state police and county deputies, and who knows where they are. And if they were out there, they don't have vehicles that could get them there. So everybody is, is on their own. So either you're going to uh, head into the, into the woods, which is what a lot of the preppers in doing uh, research for this, uh, that's the prepping community is what they call themselves. It's about mm. survival out in the, in a compound somewhere. But sooner or later, you got to, we are also social creatures and we're going to interact with others, but mm. um, desperate people do desperate things. And that's, and that's the basis of the gangs. You better get a bunch of desperate people together um, and you have this sort of a support group for lawlessness. And it's just, if you can justify um, taking necessary items from other people if you're putting them to good use, which is for yourself. Uh, it's, it's kind of a twisted logic that comes with panic. Well, it's just that when they have a pandemic or something or there's a flood and there's a – I know in some of the communities where I used to live, they, these people come in and just loot. They don't even care. Well, I need that. I need this television. They actually take pictures of them looting, and they don't care. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they don't care. It's, it's scary. And, I mean, I know I have a friend, and she was walking. I said to her, go the other way. You're going to get hurt because they don't care. So one of the people that you don't want to meet is Baggins, Right. And he sets off a chain reaction to stuff. 
Re- refresh my memory. It's been a while since I wrote the Isn't book. Isn't he the guy that's in charge of the, the gangs and stuff, that he comes in and threatens everybody? One of the lieutenants? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, right. This um, is pretty good for remembering everything. I read this book. I know. I know people I got it memorized. <laughs> I have actually written a, a book since I wrote that book. So it's, I've, it, it, it takes okay. me a while to get back. Um, yeah, he's an organizer of 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 folks, you know, and the first thing you yeah. do is you you take other people's you take away people's ability to defend themselves. And it, and once you do that under force, of course, um then you take their stuff and then you make sure that they can't get away um because the, you need their you need the manpower to continue with the thievery. And Victoria just won't put up with it. She's um Victoria it will will fall on a sword for principle mm. because principle trumps everything and in, in her world. And frankly, I would like to think in mine as well. Um, mm. it, it just is just wrong with Baggins and his, and his group and later with uh, the folks in, in the, the bunker, Roger Parsons. And it's just wrong. And somebody has to step up and say that it's wrong and work to fight it. You know, one of the things that I found interesting in, in writing this book, kind of immerse myself in this imaginary world of, of awfulness, and I've come to realize that the whole concept of government and law and order is just that. It's a concept. We have to all agree that, that this, is, this is the way things should be done. We're going to all stand in line, and we're all going mm. to walk in this direction. But... Once government makes itself irrelevant or becomes irrelevant from outside yeah. circumstances, such as, in this case, a nuclear war, or in your example, you know, a hurricane or a flood, where people are surviving on their own, nobody mm. really cares about parking meters and speed limits and, uh, yeah. you know, it's, rules of engagement between people change when when it's necessary, you know, when, when it's necessary for survival. Uh, money, you mentioned money becomes irrelevant. Well, what happens in ortho is they establish a currency system that's based that's ammunition. Uh, everybody needs ammo. And, of course, it's in West Virginia. I live in West Virginia. <clears throat> everybody has guns in West Virginia. Yeah, I know. So if, if we're going to, for labor, um, you, you get paid in ammunition. And even if you don't have a firearm... You have the currency of ammunition, and you, we all agree that a, a loaf of bread that somebody is making, we decide that, okay, that's worth three twenty-two caliber cartridges. I'm making this up. I don't get to that level of, yeah, of I know detail. What you're but, saying. That's, but that's really what an economy is. It's an agreement that we're going to set value, whether the value is on gold or on U.S. currency or you know whatever. It's all make-believe. And as, as soon as as soon as we stop believing in it, it goes to worthlessness, and then, and, and then you have to have something else. There has to be a means to barter or trade, and that's what mm. uh, Victoria develops in Ortho. Well, that's what I like about her. She doesn't back down. She's definitely my kind of person. So we have Penn, and he was the Speaker of the House, and the rest of the cabinet is arrested, so let's change it. Why does she chance going to to save him? Because we didn't even get to the trip yet. So why does she 
attempting to save this man? You know, why does she feel that she even, you know, risks her, risks without seeing her family to save the to save the guy that claims that he's the president of the United States? Why do they trust her? Well, there is a myth that grows mm-hmm. around Victoria because mm-hmm. they begin to call Ortho begins to be known colloquially as Eden because people are treated fairly and mm-hmm. there is justice. Um, thieves are treated very harshly. Uh, they have a T carved into their forehead um, to mark them as, as thieves. We can't, there are no jails, right? So there has to be some way. It's not so much to punish the thief as it is to make everybody else think twice before doing the same thing. And that sense of lawfulness and the fact that there is shelter and there is food and there is organization, people have, have built this, this aura around Victoria as some mm. special person that she totally rejects. It, it angers her that it is not Eden, it's Ortho, and, I'm, and she is just a normal person as far as she's concerned. But um, that's also a sign of a true leader, that I think, in, in, in my world. So Penn, um, has be, Penn Glendale, who is speaker and now president, um, they had a relationship, not a romantic relationship, but they knew each other before the war, and he knows her to be fair, and he knows that she's still alive, or at least as far as he knows, she's still alive, and he's aware of this whole Eden thing, and he reaches out to her to come and, and be uh, at his trial, which he's pretty sure isn't going to go very well. Um, and she does it because of the principle that mm. you know, the United States still exists, and there is uh, there, the justice system is not vigilanteism. The justice system is about um, reasons uh, deliberation, and she's fully aware that that Penn might be guilty of treason. Treason is probably the wrong charge. Um, it's hard to justify when when you're aware that your constituents are literally starving to death and dying of radiation poisoning and whatever else is is out there mm-hmm. being eaten by getting eaten by other people, perhaps. Although there's no cannibalism in the book, um, you've you got it kind of nice. You got mattresses and medical care. And, uh, that would be hard for people to find out. Such as, for example, if we found out during a pandemic when nobody can go out, we find out that elected officials can go out and have a nice dinner and yeah, I know, and get their hair done. Or you know, there is it's a and it, that was not the the point of writing the book, but as I was writing it, in the pandemic issue, the 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 issues of the pandemic. Um, we're playing out, I realized, wow, there really is, there's a two-class system, at least a two-class system, maybe more um, in America, but certainly the politicians go by different rules than the, their constituents. And, and there'll come a point, you know, it's, I don't think we're there, and I'm suggesting that, that my story and reality are anything close to each other. But people will be pushed only so far, and when they're with, when the inequities are perceived to be so terribly out of mm-hmm. line, there will be rebellion, and that's exactly what happened actually between 1775 and 1790, right, uh, or 1780, excuse me, 84, um, the American Revolution. That's just people got pushed too far. That's it. We're not doing this anymore. Let's go to war. 
Well, you're right because when I when I had the pandemic, and I lived up in Westchester, and my community that I had to get things done were in the Bronx. Couldn't go to the butcher. Couldn't get my hair done for six weeks. They closed down everything. And every single day I would listen to him talk, Cuomo on you know, news, saying when he was going to open something. And I'd go, I don't care about the stores or anything of food. Just open up my beauty parlor. I'm going to get my <laughs> hair done. I, I wound up, I mean, I was so desperate that I wound up going to my hairdresser's house with a wet head so that he could do my roots or do something. And when you're blonde and you turn white, it doesn't look so good. Now I have multicolors, mm-hmm. so I'm happy. So each time they do something, I mean, the governor up here has done nothing about anything. She's like in her own world of make-believe. And nobody's doing anything about anything. They're all, you know, passing the blame. So it's sad. So the other guy that I really didn't like that caused a lot of the trouble for most people and Victoria is Parsons. How come people follow him and he starves them? What's his rationale between making people's lives horrible and taking things that don't belong to him? Roger Parsons is a former wrestler, and he's a pretty charismatic guy. And he leads the revolt that, um, in Blue Fire, the, uh, the annex, Government Relocation Center, uh, is breached by outside forces but that's led by Roger Parsons. And he's mm-hmm. the one who leads the mob. It's, it's not an organized group. It's, it's a mob that storms... Uh, storms the bunker and arrests, I'm using finger quotes, um, the members of Congress, and they find out they had no idea they're going to have the President of the United States there as well. Mm. Um, and that, that's kind of where Blue Fire ends. And people follow him because he's, a, he's afraid of him. They're, they're yeah, afraid of him. Back, be, back before they stormed the, the bunker, before they even knew about the bunker, um, Roger saw the opportunity, you know, everything. He, the, the bunker itself was not bombed because it's actually deemed not to be a very valuable target. And, um, and he sees the panic that's building. So the first thing he does is raids the shooting gallery, a shooting range at this resort. And the first thing he does is gather up some friends to go and get the guns from the, the shooting gallery. And then he also takes over the pantry. It's a, it's a huge resort, right? So they have um, a mm-hmm. lot of frozen food that will spoil, but they have a lot of dry goods too and all of that. So he gets charged. He and his group get take control of that and guard it very carefully against the mobs who continue to come to the resort because and they naturally think, well, maybe that's the place I can go and I can, I can find, um, I can find safety. But of course, there's no safety there either because nobody has anything. And when you got a bunch of feral people, they just rob from each other. It, it's so it becomes an awful place. And Roger's fine with that because he has his. And um, anybody who crosses him ends up dead. Or oh, maybe, maybe he's got a point there. Yeah, I mean, it's just every the, the rules all change, and but Roger is um, he also knows that taking care of the elected officials mm. it has to be handled as a big show. You know, he wants to um, he wants 
nothing can be done quietly when it comes to meeting justice for um, for the elected folks. So it's it's not about justice actually at all. It's about the show and about frankly killing them all and doing it very publicly. And then that, in his mind, makes him, I guess, in charge of of the country, such as the country is. They don't even know how. It's a pretty claustrophobic book in the sense that I only nobody has any idea what what survived and what did not survive outside this That's little true. enclave because nobody can know. That's you know, I'm writing from their point of view. So, um, so Roger Parsons wants the power and the acclaim and um, and the comfy stuff. You know, he lives in the presidential suite. It doesn't have any power, but it's still got beds and. Um, you know, shelter. So that's that's what Parsons is about. And he realizes that Victoria, when he hears about Eden and he hears about Victoria and he he hears that she is coming to uh, stand in his place as judge at Penn Glendale's trial, um, that he has to speed up his his agenda uh, so that he he doesn't get upstaged. And that's what a lot of white smoke is about. Well, I'm not going to say what happens, but she goes up to the resort and something happens to somebody, and then she has to make a decision. And this is a hard one because it involves somebody in her family. And she decides to make that hard and fast decision, how come, why? And I said, oh, my God, how could she do that? And I understand why she did. Because she has to make a hard and fast decision between her, her family and something else. Are we talking about her son Adam? Yeah. Okay. Yes. There's there's a point where um, her family has 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 blood in the game, and Adam mm-hmm. is is shot during one of these um, altercations, very seriously shot, and presumably you know killed. As far as he, again, he's it's it's terrible and he needs to be mm-hmm. transported back to ortho where they have a doctor and she decides that she's got a larger principle that she has to take care of and that is to um bring justice to what's left of of the government and totally unintentionally on her part that so greatly inspires this ragtag group that has has surrounded her and it, it, complicated on how they get there, but it's a very disparate group until they see that and they realize, wow, she's really she's walking the walk. She's she's putting she's putting her own interests to the side um in in favor of the public good and that that motivates her to have followers who are dedicated to to what she's doing. It takes a lot of guts to do what she's doing. So then what is Hell Day, and why blame the government for it? Well, Hell Day is, is the colloquial name for the, the war. Uh, it was mm-hmm. very short, like I said, about eight hours long. The reason, the way Hell Day happens in, in uh, Crimson Phoenix, mm-hmm. the, the, base, the, the premise is this, that Iran has full nuclear capability and that they are building nuclear warheads. So Israel is going to bomb the, is going to attack, is going to nuke, actually, the um, Iranian nuclear facilities. And 
the United States is not involved with it directly, but obviously we're we're the leader of the world, right? So we're going to be it's going to be our intel to a large part, and so we're involved to that level. So the reason people go to the bunker is just in case. You know, you're going to be firing nukes to each other. Who's going to? You never know how it's going to spin out of control. But the plan, President Blanton, um, who's whose role is short in the book, her plan is to um, inform the Russians and the others that, that we're going to do this right before it happens and assure everybody that this is not a this is not escalation in world war. This is a very surgical uh, strike. Well, the press gets a hold of it and leaks the information, and Iran fires first and hits Israel, and Russia isn't aware of what's happening yet, and they so it just everybody launches on each other. Mm. And the reality of this, you know, the United States has to clear their birds because the, mm. the Russians, if we can't wait for the Russians to take the first shot because all of those facilities are targeted, so you got to get your your missiles out of the way first. And the flight time on modern missiles, just so you know, um, from mm-hmm. launch to detonation is about eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not a lot of time. So it just spins out of control, and then then it's over. Most of the world, within the, within the story, nobody's actually sure, outside of the bunker, nobody's actually sure that this was a war. They kind yeah. of think it is because of all the fires and explosions, all of that, but they don't know who won. They don't know who was what was in play. They don't know who the good guys are or the bad guys are. And if there's one thing that a government is supposed to do, it's to protect their people. And that's why they hold the government responsible. I mean, you don't you don't drop the ball quite that badly, right? So that's that. Your question was, why do they hold the government responsible? And that's why. Well, think about the government and the Republicans and the Democrats and everybody blames each other instead of whirling. We're one country. We're supposed to work together. You know, ideas are one thing, but that gets gets on your nerves after a while. So they 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 handcuff Penn, and he's going to lay out his own form of justice, right? And it doesn't exactly go the way they want. So why does it all backfire, and who is Penn's lawyer? Well, Penn's lawyer is is um, a fellow that was happened to be staying at the resort when when the bombs dropped mm. and he, and he's a big time lawyer. And um, so that, that's where he, that's where he comes from. And just wants to preserve to the degree that's, that's possible under the circumstances. He's pretty sure that execution is in his future and I mean, the yeah. handwriting is on the wall, but he wants there to be dignity, not for himself necessarily, but for, for, the country, the United States. You know, 300 years from now, I think this is a, a, a quote uh, from the book, or is paraphrasing it. That 300 years from now, historians are going to look back on what we did here, and it, it, we want to have the trappings of dignity. That's that's really what he wants. And uh, he's an older guy, and he's a principled guy who makes huge mistakes. Mm. I mean, it's um, but the war is not his – the irony of this is that he was not the president. In fact, he counseled the president not mm-hmm. to allow this, this nuclear strike, and she wouldn't listen to him. 
And then, of course, when she was killed, the vice president was killed, he became president. So he's actually being held accountable for a war that's not his fault. He actually counseled against it. But that it doesn't matter. The buck stopped. And uh, the responsibility falls on him. And from there, he, he makes some pretty colossal mistakes, too. All well-meaning. But before Luke gets caught and we find out about who Primo is, let me not forget, tomorrow... Award-winning author Charles Salzberg will be here with Man on the Run next Tuesday. This gets really wild. At 12 o'clock, I don't do shows at all, but only for Robert Dagoni and her deadly game will I do it at 12 o'clock. And on Wednesday, what more than Don Bentley with a Matt Drake forgotten more. And that's just the end of April. And May starts with a very sad story about a young girl that was constricted and sold into slavery at 16, Take Back My Soul by Maya Obar, and there's a whole lot more coming on in May. So what is Parsons believes in defiance? What happens to Luke, and why does he get caught? What, is he, what was his reason for trying to save it, for trying to find out what was going on and save everyone? Well, Luke is Victoria's 14-year-old son, and I thought it pretty cool, too. He, um, they don't know on their way to it's, – it's a three-day trip to, um, from Ortho to the Hilltop Manor where the trials are being held. And there are gangs all along the way, and uh, they don't know what lies ahead. We mm-hmm. as readers know that, that Parsons is – Going, is trying to stop Victoria before she can get to the hilltop manor. So he's sending his, mm. his folks to block them. Victoria senses this, doesn't doesn't know it. Um, so Luke volunteers. Uh, Luke is one of is Victoria doesn't have a lot of people she knows she can trust, and a lot of those folks were left in Ortho mm. to run Ortho when she came on this. So she's got her family, and she's she's got um, Major McRae, who's her her bodyguard, and or Sergeant Copley, who's his, his assistant. But that's kind of it, that she knows deep down that she can trust. So Luke volunteers to go forward and take a look at what lies ahead so they know what they're going to be marching into the next day. It isn't happening at night. Mm. And uh, he just gets caught. It's um, no real fault of his own, all kind of. I mean, he makes too much noise, and, um, and he gets caught. And now... A uh, fellow named Primo runs yeah. this out, runs his outpost, and he is a lieutenant of uh, Parsons. And um, so now, Par- Primo via Parsons, maybe the other way around, the bad guys have a real point of leverage to use against Victoria uh, to get her just to turn around and um, end this thing. So that's what. I don't. I don't want to go into what happens after that. But no, that's no. What, um, that's and it's and it's scary. What they do is they bring uh, a runner from uh, Primo's place, brings back an article of clothing that is clearly belongs to Luke to say, you know, we 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 need to talk. And of course, nobody expects that talk to be anything that involves talk. Well, don't underestimate certain people. But she learns that Luke is caught, but why is her loyalty to the mission first? And what happens when she comes face-to-face with Penn? 
But she's well, loyal to the, the mission. Forget about Luke. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we all this this nation yeah. is is uh, fed by the is, is built on the souls yeah. of parents, children who have have given their full measure, right? Um, mm-hmm. The loyalty and honor and justice and all of the good stuff, you know, all those great principles are not about convenience. Mm-hmm. They're about doing the right thing. And if, you know, you go through history, whether you go through the Bible or you go through, you know, the political history, uh, the people we admire the most are the ones who push aside their their own personal gains uh, for the greater good. The founding fathers mm-hmm. pledged their lives, their fortunes, and sacred honor for the formation of the United States for, for this idea, and many of them paid with their, certainly their fortunes um, and some with their lives. As as a result, that's it's the honorable thing to do, and it's it's really hard. I mean, it's desperately mm-hmm. hard. I, I think we could argue that Luke might be um, Victoria's favorite, yeah. just in the way they interact. And uh, so she's she's already lost Adam by this point in the story. He's he's been wounded and taken back to Ortho, and now and now there's Luke, and and this really hurts. And she's she's got to do what she's got to do. I wonder in real life how many people would do what they got to do. Somebody else would have said, you take over the mission to go defend Penn. I'm going to help my son. Very few yeah. people would do what she did. Yeah, you got to give her credit. So tell us about the Fawcett twins. And what does one man say that there is no United States anymore? That's a very important statement. Well, the Foster brothers, um, they're, like they're twins. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of fun, and and they're so identical yeah. that Victoria never can tell them apart. So it's she mm-hmm. always has to ask them which which one is which. And you know when they find out that um, that the the, the bunker the, the annex has been overturned, one of them says that you know the United States is is gone or is over, and and she gets upset mm-hmm. she, that no, it's not. It's the trappings of government are not government. That government is an idea, and the idea is the is the principles of of freedom and justice. And yeah. just just because this group of elected officials is gone, or that the the buildings that represent the idea are gone, the idea remains as long as we as individuals agree that it remains. And that's really the overarching theme of the book. And I generally don't talk about themes in, in my fiction. That's really what mm. this is about. It's the preservation of an idea. And in troubled times, and I think we're in very troubled times right now, we, we need to remember that. That um, the, the the nature of politics now is so toxic. Mm. But that's, that's the, the fault of the individuals on both sides of the aisle who are playing gotcha politics and the influence of a lot of folks who don't care about the principle, don't understand the principle. We don't teach the principles in school anymore. That's a whole, whole different thing. But, you know, freedom is precious, and uh, it has to be preserved, and sometimes you, you have to fight to preserve it, and that's, and that's Victoria's whole mindset. And well, I'm so, glad you so brought yes, up the schools. 
because there was a thing on the news this morning that really bothered me. There's a town near me that there's a lot of violence in the schools, you know, teachers getting hurt, people, and the mayor is doing everything possible to, you know, solve the problem, but she can't do it alone. And they they literally attacked her at a meeting yesterday and blamed her for everything. And no matter what it is, she steps up. It's really sad. Even in New York, the mayor is not doing anything about the, the schools or the education. And the governor, the new um, district attorney, came up with a fail-safety-thought safety plan, and it's in her drawer somewhere. So it's really sad that nobody really follows up. So how did you create, without giving away the final scenes, and that last paragraph ending means you got to write the next book, for real? <laughs> no, seriously. I, I, I think I will. I think it will be a one-off. I would like – there's one more story within that world that I want to tell. Oh, good. Um, but it'll be a while because I'm under contract for a couple other things. So, but it'll be it'll be a while. Um, I'm sorry. What your question was? No, I mean, how did you create the last paragraph ending? This, which is the reason why I think you could write the next book. I'm just wondering if you create the next book, if you're going to ever find out a way for people to communicate, even if it's by walkie-talkie or something. Because it frustrated me that they didn't have a cell phone to call someone to get help. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, or, or or at least a phone booth you can go in and change into yeah. a Superman outfit. Um, the I wanted to bring um, a bleak way. When I was a kid, growing up, the um, Armageddon fiction. We had Failsafe and On the Beach and The Last Babylon, mm-hmm. and, and then you get into the science fiction weird stuff. Um, it was also negative. It was just it was dark. The end end of the world. We're all going to die. And I wanted to make sure that my book wasn't that. I wanted it's it's the book is about love and hope. You know, at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, and I and I wanted to end it that way. I wanted to have a, a sense. Well, you can't say that anybody has won at this point, but that life no. is stable for the people that we care about, and we've lost some people we care about. And, we, and um, yeah. But I want to make sure that I think the reader feels that the price paid was worth the goal achieved, and so that's where those those last chapters came from. I'm very proud of those last chapters, by the way. I, it's uh, they surprised me, and actually, as I was writing it, I. I this is terrible for listeners because they don't know what I'm talking about. But the um, I thought the ending was going to go a different way until I got a last-minute inspiration, and I'm very happy with the way it ended. Well, when when you, Adam got got hurt, somebody got killed, and I cried. There was a box of tissues there. I go, how could he do that? That's not good. And I'm saying, okay, now people have to learn to deal with what's there, not with what's not there anymore. And and that bothered me, too, because I'm saying, how are they going to save Adam without this person or that person? So who is Stoney and who is Kenny? I didn't forget, I meant to re- bring those in before. Well, Stoney is that guy, he's a hanger-on with um, uh, Roger Parsons, who, remember, was a wrestler. Yeah. And Stoney was like the Burgess Meredith character from uh, Rocky. You know, just that, oh, God. that guy. And... Um, no real job, but he's he's sort of the chief cheerleader for uh, Roger. And as the story goes on, he's also the one who points out to Roger Parsons that you know, dude, you've you've blown this. You know, you've 
it's time for you to start running away. And, of course, Roger Parsons' ego won't let him do that. And uh, so that's the, the Stoney and, and the, um, was it Kenny is the, is he the young kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just, he is on Parsons' team because, A, if you're on Parsons' team, you get to eat well, or you get to eat. Uh, so there's that, but um, he's also a huge fan of uh, Parsons from back in the, uh, he was the mauler, was his, his uh, wrestling name. So the kid was just a big fan, and Roger likes to have fans around him. So that was their role. But ultimately, you know, the as things unfold, people who are people who are loyal to you because you give them stuff. It's, yeah, it's a very fragile loyalty. However, people who are loyal to you because you inspire them, that's a fierce kind of loyalty. So at the end, that's that's what happens. That's the conflict that happens at the end of, of White Smoke. And it gets very lonely for, for Roger. Well, they're loyal because they're afraid they're going to get killed. And if they yeah, do the so back talk a question, that's even worse. So what happens when she comes face-to-face with Penn? Does she come face-to-face with Penn? Let's not go there. No, Do we're the, not going to talk about Penn. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was really sad because what would happen, I mean, in the long run, so wh- where would you see them next? Where would you see her next? And would you bring back the world before Hell Day came and make believe it never happened and then the apocalypse never happened? It was somebody's dream? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> it's just my weird imagination going here, yeah, people. I don't do dream fiction. Actually, the the next book mm-hmm. that I want to do in the Victoria series is okay. Um, I want I want a kind of a Lewis and Clark exploration to be launched oh, nice. from Hilltop Manor to go out and see what's left. You know what's what's out there beyond uh, Hilltop Manor, and then and then. Victoria, um, okay, spoiler, yes, she lives. Um, Victoria now has to has to continue to maintain and grow mm. and inspire against continually long odds, you know, as people find this thing and and and, and how is she going to do that? And that's I don't even know. You know, it's the nature of writing the story. I won't know till I write it, but those are the areas I'd like to explore. Her relationship with McCray. Um, yet she speaks, but he listens. But yet she's the boss, sort of. She you knows she and he understands her probably better than anybody else does. So if you brought them back, would they wind up closer together? Oh, I uh, don't know. Well, you're going to have to write it. You have to ask her permission, first of all, because she said, you know, you can't can't just have Victoria hopping into something, right? Right. Um, They are, they have both lost so much. I mean, McRae, Mm -hmm. we meet him on the first page of the first book. And he's he's a military guy whose job is to escort uh, Victoria, willingly or otherwise, to the Mm -hmm. bunker in uh, this before the war happens. And uh, and he does, and then when it happens, you know, McRae, because he is doing his duty, he loses everything. I mean, his 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 kids are killed. He presumes mm. in, in the war, and his wife, and 
We've been a very loving relationship. Victoria lost her husband in uh, in the sandbox during the you know Middle Eastern wars, mm. and so all she's got are her boys and and McRae really he's got his duty. That's that's all he's got, and and his growing loyalty to uh, Victoria. They don't like each other all that much at the beginning of the first book, but his admiration for her grows by leaps and bounds and when he sees her doing things that he knows that he couldn't do in terms of of inspiring others. And so is is there romance in there? If there is, it's all happened off the page. Um, going into the future, I don't know. I, that's not the kind of story I write. I don't do romance stuff very well. Well, there's one character I forgot, Emma. Tell us about Emma. You're going to love Emma. <laughs> Emma is... Uh, Adam, we haven't talked much about Adam. Um, You're talking a little bit about happened, Adam and why we were upset that he got hurt. Poor Adam. I like Adam. Well, Adam is he, on his 18th birthday. The war happens on his 18th birthday while he and, and Emma are having a, um, a a lovely time. She's the unattainable girl. He never thought in the world, never thought she would um, yeah. accept a date from him. So they're out camping and um, doing doing what energetic teenagers will do when um, when the war happens at night and they're mm. they're together and um, and Emma's cool she's she's resilient yeah, she is um, she comes from she comes from money um, Adam does not but Adam has wicked survival skills that she picks up very quickly and Emma has an old school Bronco Ford Bronco from the 60s that doesn't have a computer chip anywhere in it. So her car still works. So they have transportation. Mm -hmm. And, of course, people want the transportation. And um, Adam very quickly uh, encounters some of these um, miscreants in the, in, the first, in the first book. Yeah. And when he defends himself, he, is, he finds himself labeled by the locals because it's, he's not part of that community. Um, he's labeled a murderer. And they're chasing him. And then ultimately, towards, I don't know which book it is. I, I think it, it, it's either uh, Crimson Phoenix or Blue Fire. Um, yeah. Emma gets pregnant. So That's right. She is carrying, she's carrying Victoria's first grandchild, and um, which comes as a surprise when they finally unite in, uh, in Blue Fire. Another very good scene, I think. Um, so it's really it's a family saga, and you know Emma is the tough as nails. Don't tell me what I can do. Um, not even fiance. She's she's uh, Adam's life partner. About that. Well, she sort of is a little bit like Victoria too, because she's independent, and she mm-hmm. doesn't really need Adam. She can get along by herself. But they meet some horrible people along the way in this book. And they have to defend themselves, too. I know that. And then they save a few people, too, mm-hmm. that I remember. They save a few people, don't they? Is there somebody that gets caught in a car or something? Yes. And they, they actually they have to pull girl. somebody up? A little girl. I don't know why I remembered that, but, you know, I guess it's because it's a kid. So right. you said you're writing something next. What's next for you? Right now I'm writing, uh, well, in September – um, Harm's Way, the next Jonathan Grave book comes out, but that's oh, good. I'm, I'm finished writing that, and now I'm writing uh, Heat Seeker, which will be the Jonathan Grave book to follow that, and then um, 
I think, and I will have a surprise for you. I can't announce it yet because the ink isn't on the paper yet, but I'm going to be doing a new series that uh, I think people are very excited about. Particularly fans of the Jonathan Graves series will be very, very happy about the new series I'm writing. I hope to write. Now, you again. said September is coming out? September is uh, Harm's Way, yes. Well, I got one because it's my birthday month. It's to be my present. All right. Yes, I don't talk about how old I am because I really don't know and I don't care. But, <laughs> yes, uh-huh. And what can I say? So where can everybody get all of your books? And I will announce on Facebook the winner of the John Gil- Gilstrap White Smoke. We have a few people. What can I say? I'll pick one. All right. Um, you, the best place to start, johngilstrap.com. We'll send you everything that you need. Or as far as finding the book, it's wherever books are sold. You know, get it on Amazon, find it at Walmart, whatever. If it's, if it's still on the shelf, it's been out for a while. But um, they're out there. Well, people, think about the fact that you have communication, transportation, shelter, food, clothes, and everything they want. And then read the books from the beginning, and then maybe you'll appreciate the world the way it is and stuff like Well, I hope so. And I hope I inspire some people, you know, not to be stupid. Um, I will say for all of your listeners, I don't care where you live, if you don't have at least one week, if not three weeks of water stashed someplace, just buy the jugs and put them in the corner, you know, not to shower, but to to drink, you're being very short. That's right. if you don't have a pantry full, just, it's okay if it's tuna or beans or whatever, canned goods that can That's last right. you for, for a, a week or two. You're just, you're not paying attention. You know, you, we've got to be ready for um, not, not the nuclear war style of disaster, but you never know when the hurricane comes. You get the power loss of a big snowstorm or whatever. Um, have, have enough medications on board. Get the three-month supply when you order instead of the one-month supply uh, because it's you, you need to be prepared at all times. I think having a, having a prepared pantry is every bit, it's kind of like having working smoke detectors. It's just the thing to do. You're, you're correct because my family is, you know, going through this hurricane from Ida and broke roofs that are caved in and things that have not still been fixed. So people the most important thing to me is having you know, the canned foods and water. Without the bottled water, you got nothing because you don't want to take it from the tap. But, John, thank right. you so much. It's beautiful outside. Everybody, Book Talk with Fran Lewis brought to you by MJ Network. We'll be continuing tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern with Charles Salzburg. And just to make sure everybody knows, it's next well, next Tuesday with um, Barbara Tagoni at 12 Eastern. Everybody have a great day. John, stay safe. Everybody have a great day, and bye.